My name is Pastor Matt. I'm the pastor of youth and young adults here, so it's my pleasure to be able to open up our Christmas series for us this morning. And the Christmas series is Fear Not. And so each Sunday, someone will come up, and in the birth of Jesus, someone is told not to fear for many different reasons, and so every Sunday from now till Christmas and on Christmas Eve, we will jump into Fear Not. And this Sunday, I get the pleasure of um, walking you through the scriptures of where Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant. And I think they gave it to me because I have four children and I planned none of them. So I can relate to Joseph and... um, this will, be, this will be fun. So if you have Bibles with you or your, your device, please open up to Matthew chapter one. And we're gonna start in verse 18. But before we start there, we need a, just a little context of verses one through 17. Verse 18 starts with the word now. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. And if you're like me and you see a genealogy in scripture, I go, uh-huh. And I scroll through it because I know the point is to be detailed, it's to be historically accurate. And in this case, Matthew is writing to Jewish Christians, so he's proving to them that Jesus is in the line of Abraham. He's gonna fulfill the Davidic line. He he will be the next king in the line of David. So absolutely, it's, it's a list. And we might be tempted to be like, oh yeah, that worked out well, so will this. But like, a deeper look at those names during sermon prep, we started thinking, we're like, you know, those weren't clean and pretty. Um, let's, just, let's just take the first one, okay? Abraham. So Abraham was like 80 years old. He was told uh, by God that he was going to have um, a son and he was gonna have heirs and they would be more numerous than the sand. And he kind of went, okay, sure. Um, he believed God so well, by the way, his wife was Sarah, um, that he took Hagar as his mistress and had Ishmael. Well, that wasn't clean and pretty. And then so the angel of the Lord came back again to Abraham and said, Abraham, by this time next year, you're gonna have a child. And Sarah was in the tent overhearing this and she actually laughed. And then the angel said, oh, okay. You're gonna name that son Isaac, which means laughter. And a year later, they had Isaac, and they named him Laughter. And so every time that child was named, they were like, "Uh uh-huh, you laughed. So they had that memory. Abraham's not the only one. I mean, Isaac had Jacob. That was a mess. Um, Jacob had Judah. That was crazy uh, with Joseph and, and all that. And it goes all the way through even David. The Bible is so clear. It says that David's son, who is in this line, comes from the wife of Uriah, that David had, had an affair, had Uriah killed, the first baby died, and then the next baby, that's the one that's in the line. And so when we get to that word, now the birth of the Lord Jesus happened this way, I think Matthew wants us to kind of be in this spot of, okay, it's gonna be more of the same. It's not gonna be pretty, it's gonna be messy, but God is in control, and when we have the, the gift of time and perspective, we can say, man, the Lord is a genius, and I wouldn't have changed it, and it just comes together in a beautiful way. So let's go to Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. 
And so this is where Joseph hears Mary is pregnant. And it didn't go the way he ever thought it would. Um, if you have had kids, I don't know if you can relate to this. I can. My wife and I, we were married in 2007, December 1st. So we just celebrated 14 years. And six months after we were married, Lauren started not feeling well. We were in the Dominican Republic leading mission trips. And uh, it was a really bad time for her not to be feeling well because there's no air conditioning there. Everything smells. It's just, it's really, really uncomfortable for her who is used to AC and all that. And so, you know, we might as well take a test. We took a test and we were in a hotel at the time because between these trips, we stayed at a hotel to welcome the next team. And I'm picturing it clear as day. I, it's just test there. And she's like, ah, and she kind of flips out. By the way, I didn't flip out in this instant, but that's not because of my grand faith. It's just one of us needed to be calm, I think. And a miracle happened. And I said, well, babe, it's the Lord's will. She's like, what? I need you to freak out with me. I'm like, I, I am. So I called my friend Andy. I said, Andy, you know, I just needed to tell somebody. I said, Andy, Lauren's pregnant. I kid you not. No break. That stinks. <laughs> I go, you're a good friend. Um, but I mean, it was just unexpected. It was not at a convenient time. And you know what's, what's funny is when I tell that story, and I think this is going to kind of relate to Joseph, I'm always sure to tell people we were married and then pregnant six months later, not we had the baby six months later. Because that's just my fear of people knowing that, you know what, that, that was the time frame. And I think Joseph will, he's going to understand that. But... They weren't yet married as we know them to be married. So when the text says he was betrothed to Mary, what that means is this, is they were engaged, but in Jewish time, in, in, in this time in Jewish culture, when you were engaged, it was more of a legal deal between parents. There were contracts, there were negotiations. You were betrothed to the person. You lived separate for a year. You didn't know each other in a sexual way. You didn't live together. Sometimes they didn't even live in the same town. So when they were betrothed, it was just as good as married, but they stayed separate. And they did that to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. And in this time, if she was to be found with child, we knew that one of two things were true. Either A, they couldn't control themselves, or B, she was unfaithful. And so, again, this wasn't an engagement. They weren't co-planning a wedding. Um, that, that didn't happen during this time. And then it says, during this engagement, she was found to be with child. And here, I kind of scratch my head thinking, how did Joseph find out she was pregnant? Did he have a report? Was there, did someone see like a baby bump? Um, was Mary trying to tell people and explain people like, hey, I'm pregnant, but it's really of the Holy Spirit, and she had to explain it to her parents. Did her parents come to Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, we have a problem. Like, this is gonna have some ramifications. We need to break this contract. Like, I, I read that. She was found to be with child, and I, I kind of scratched my head, but all Joseph knows at this point is that Mary cheated because Joseph knew that it wasn't his. So he was left with a choice. He could divorce her quietly, 
or publicly and heap shame on her. Now, if he divorced her publicly, um, he would absolve himself of any guilt and it would ruin her life. If he divorced her quietly, she would be able to start again and it can move on. So let's see what he did. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So confession, when I uh, learned that this was my passage for preaching this month, a few weeks ago, I started reading the passage, and you know how sometimes your mind switches words, and like you can read the Pledge of Allegiance, and all the words can be wrong, but you don't know it because just, you just read it? Well, this passage is kind of so familiar that I went through, and I read this, the first words of this verse saying, and her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, I'm serious, for two weeks, I was thinking of the humanity of Joseph during this time. I'm like, man, he must have been so angry. And I don't know if I listened to too much country, but I'm like, he wanted to find that guy. Or like, he just, he was just, he just, just his, his humanity at this time. And the fact, despite his humanity, he would still do the right thing. And then during sermon prep, they said, no, Matt, that's wrong. So, he was a just man. He was unwilling to put her to shame. I think this is the point. He knew God's heart, and he had God's heart. He wouldn't just keep the law. The law said you could divorce her. The law said you could heap shame on her. This was at the time of stonings and things like that. But he would keep the law, yet with mercy and compassion. Hosea 6.6 6 says this. This is God speaking. God says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And I think in this story, this is one of two glimpses we get maybe to the genius of God to choose Joseph as Jesus' dad. That God the, Father, God the Father wanted Jesus' earthly father to be a man, to teach Jesus to be a man just like this. That he's gonna wanna do the right thing with the right motive, the right way for the love of God and for the love of people all in a great mix and this is what Joseph does. He seemed to know God's, God's heart, that he does the right thing in the right way. And God would be just. This isn't like, oh, love wins, you get a pass. This is no, there's a consequence. Justice would come, but it would be with the goal to not ruin the person. It would be with the goal of repentance and change and making things, all things right and not shame. So, Joseph obeyed in that way, so he divorced her quietly. Again, this is before he knew what was going on. He, didn't, he, he only knew the pregnancy part. He didn't know the whole Holy Spirit part. And so if he would have made a public display of her pregnancy, it would have been all on her unfaithfulness. But if he does it quietly, again, she could move to another town, say, you know what, my husband died, I'm a single mom. I mean, she could have a chance to start over here. But then there's the option if he stays with her. Okay. If he stays with her, that means the baby's his. That means, yeah, that first baby does come early. And there are a lot of ramifications to that, especially then. That child, Jesus, would be illegitimate. They would be unfaithful parents comes with a lot of weight. Um, it would have plagued Joseph's business dealings. No one would want to do business with a carpenter who 
has a family like that, it would have, it, it, it would have hindered Jesus' future as well. No one wants to do business with the son of those people. He would lose social clout. He would be the one who gets chuckled. He would, he would have brought disgrace to his family, potentially been even canceled from his own family because the family doesn't want a son that would do that. And again, there's the future label on Jesus, no chance to move up socially. This was just bad. And we kind of know this happened because in Luke chapter four, verse 20, this is when Jesus went to the temple and he, and, he, and he took the scroll and he started reading and he said, today this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said, oh, well, well, they didn't say, oh, that's so great. Like, that's a, that's a great message. They said, no, is this Joseph's son? They're like, this guy, number one, shouldn't be reading in the temple. And number two, like, his whole, his whole family is, is, is un, un, unclean. They, they were not faithful. He had a label. So let's continue on in the passage, verse 20. As he considered these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And here's where the do not fear comes in. But first, I want to take a look at that phrase right there. As he considered these things. Again, I just, I think Joseph was rolling around in his bed, kind of unable to sleep for maybe days, nights, I don't know. Joseph's plans were completely changing. Um, he, he's not going to marry Mary anymore. Now, I, I don't want you to raise your hand if you've ever like, lost a girl, but that hurts. When there's a girl you love, and oh man, you think the future's bright, that like, you, you, you are looking forward to that. And I don't know how much Joseph knew Mary or if, if their families knew each other. All I know is this. God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. She had to be special. And so for me, I read this and I think like, Joseph, man, you just lost Mary. And he's considering these things. And, and, and he's, he's, he's probably weighing this desire for like vengeance and this desire for justice and to like, he's... He's just wrestling with these things. So then the angel comes, and he is said to fear not. Now, most of the time when an angel comes or Jesus shows up, someone always gets told, don't fear, right? Because of the sight of the angel. This was not so. This was a dream. Joseph was not afraid of the angel. He was not told to not fear the angel. He was told this, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Basically, don't fear the situation or the social implications of God's plan. God didn't come to him and say, Joseph, don't worry about it. I'll take all those fears away. He just said, no, don't fear to do it, but go ahead anyways. And here's the big reveal. The angel will tell Joseph why. Verse 20 and 21. The angel said, for we know that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call him his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There it is. The big picture is revealed, and that plan for Joseph requires his obedience, 
regardless of the personal loss. And again, it's, it's not like, oh, those, those things won't really happen. You won't be labeled a, 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 a fornicator. You, Jesus won't be labeled as illegitimate. This, I'll, 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 I'll take those away. The angel doesn't promise any of that. What he promises is God's plan is going to happen even though it's going to hurt. And so this next verse, verse 22 and 23, um, this isn't the angel talking to Joseph. This is Matthew interjecting just what, what we know Joseph must have known. And it says this. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I gotta think that when Joseph hears this, even though it's a dream, or when he wakes up, he's like, oh, that's us. Like He knew the prophecy for the virgin was going to come. By the way, that was 700 years before this time. He just didn't know it was gonna be him. And how many of us, it's so easy to give advice or to love when the will of the Lord comes to someone else, but when it comes to us, we're like, oh God, take that away. That's tough. It's like that stat that says 80% of Christians believe the other 20% should keep on adopting. It's like, yes, that's true. Now, I'm not saying like everyone needs to adopt, but it's, it's kind of that, that way. Like, yeah, I love it when, when it's on them, but Joseph. So here comes the climax of our story. Now, we know what Joseph is going to do, but, you know, it builds. What is he going to do? He's asleep when he wakes up. What's he going to do? This, and maybe it's just the season that we're in, but um, there's been a lot of Hallmark movies going on in my house, <laughs> and I loathe them. But raise your hand if you like Hallmark movies. Raise your, your hand if you live with someone or you're in a relationship with someone and you like Hallmark movies. I'm with you guys. But, you know, guy meets girl. There's some big misunderstanding, you know. Um, well, one, guy meets girl and they fall in love. Then there's, bi- there's this big misunderstanding and the guy like founds out that like she's just a real estate agent that's trying to like take her Christmas tree farm. But um, <laughs> then he understands, oh no, right? Like I've got to go get her. I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. But this is it. This is that point of the story where we're like, what's he going to do? And okay, I'll admit, if I watch at least 10 minutes of a Hallmark movie, I usually have to finish it because I know what's going to happen, but I just need to see it. So curious. So we're going to see this. Verse 24. When Jesus woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Wow. I'm personally shocked that it didn't take longer. I think I would have made a list, I might have prayed about it, I might have fasted about it. There was no praying about this. Church, we don't have to pray about doing God's will. It's as clear as God said it, therefore I do it. God said don't do it, therefore I don't do it. So he woke up and he did it. And I think this is probably the the coolest moment of, of the story for me when I think about fatherhood and when I think about God choosing Joseph to be Jesus' dad, despite what was coming, despite the hard, Joseph said, absolutely, let's do it. John 18, one of my favorite verses about Jesus' love for us says this. So Judas, 
having procured a, brand, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests of the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? I'm like, whoa, God. You gave Jesus a dad that would teach him to do the hard things. You gave Jesus a dad that taught him what true bravery is and courage is, and you just, you made his heart so solid. I'm like, that is awesome. That is what I want to do for my kids. So, with this text here, I have a few principles that I would like to highlight. And instead of the so what's coming all at the end, they're quite a bit related to the principle. So we're going to do a principle and a so what. Can you handle the change? Cool, cool. I can hardly do it. So, um, all right. Principle number one. The solution to fear is believing the truth. So to take action despite his real fear, Joseph had to believe the word of the angel that Mary was pregnant through a miracle by the Holy Spirit, that she was a virgin. That's pretty hard to fathom. But I think he had to believe a lot more. I think Joseph had to believe that if he took that step, God would see him through it. God would give him strength. God would give him the endurance. God would provide for his family that he's not like, oh man, how am I going to make money? Like, this is going to hurt in every way possible. He had to believe the promises of God. I also kind of wonder if Joseph kind of in this moment, and again, I don't know all the timings. I do know that the scripture says when he woke up, he blank. But even when you make the right choice, you have to keep making the right choice hour after hour, day after day. I just kind of wonder if Joseph thought back to the other Joseph, who some horrible things happened to Joseph. This Joseph back in Genesis was beaten by his brothers, thought to be dead, sold into slavery, went to Egypt, got out of slavery, be, became the master of this rich guy's house, was accused of some horrible wrongdoing, wrongly accused, by the way, put in prison for years, finally came out, was made the head of Pharaoh's household. Like, this Joseph saw really bad things turn together for good. And then Joseph was met face-to-face -face with his brothers, with his violators, with his beaters, however we want to say that. And Joseph, the old Joseph, had to know that, man, God had me through. He, he even said, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. I think Joseph had to believe the promises to Joshua to be strong and courageous because the Lord was with him. Joseph had to believe the promises and Psalms that God was with him. He was his shepherd. Joseph had to believe a lot more than just that baby is born of the Holy Spirit. He had to believe all the promises of God. And so what's our takeaway? Our so what is believe the truth, not our fears. I think first we're asked to believe a miracle. Um, I was going to go through a list of top headlines of 2020 and 2021, but I, I couldn't do it. I got to April of 2020, and uh, we had found UFOs, and no one cared. It was so crazy. Um, and I, I just think we're asked to believe a miracle that God still has everything. This doesn't shock him. Every plan he's ever put in place will come to fulfillment because of his sovereignty, his purpose, his plan, regardless of how crazy it seems, whatever. Number one, that's a miracle. 
But number two, we're also asked to believe the promises of God that just happen in our everyday lives. Those Ephesians calls Satan's arrows flaming darts of the evil one, these lies that tell us that this won't work out, you're no good, they'll hate you, they'll reject you, this will be the end, whatever it is. We are bombarded by fears and lies. And uh, my go-to verse for this, um, probably the first verse I ever memorized as a Christian was um, Philippians 4. And I would, anytime I get, oh no, what's gonna happen? Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses comprehension. So guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And so I'd get scared. Oh no, Philippians 4, I got that, like card, you know. But you know what? It was leaky faith. That anxiety would well up again. Oh, no, no, Philippians 4, I'm gonna quote that to myself. I stopped at verse 7. And I didn't read verse eight. And there was a time in my life when, uh, actually, before I tell you that story, I wanna show you what Philippians eight is. It says this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's one thing to coax myself and say, oh, don't fear, don't fear. God's got it, God's got it. It's another thing to say, okay, what's true and honorable and pure? The word and the promises of God. And so as I had those fears, I needed the word to cement that faith. And so um, I used to work for Lifetime Fitness. Um, I started here in Bloomingdale, and uh, I was there for a few years, and the promotion I wanted was in Dallas, Texas. And so um, if you were here a few years ago, um, Lauren and I just, we disappeared for about a year and a half, went to Dallas for a promotion, and, and we ended up coming back. But um, my role at Lifetime was I was the department head of personal training, and so I was responsible for the trainers, and I was responsible for the revenue that the trainers brought in. This was very much, um, if you go into personal training, I believe I've talked to a couple of you here about that, sometimes it's about the fitness, sometimes it's about the revenue. This role was about the revenue. And so we had the monthly goal. I don't even remember. Let's say it's 150K, all right? So, um, and a couple months were tough. We had made goal. And by the way, you had to make goal. Like, there was, there was no if, ands, or buts. If, if a week out, you were projecting to not make goal, like you were on a call, like, every day. So we had to make goal. And this, this one month was just horrible. So in personal training, you've got old business and new business. And the old business are the re-signs, the new business is what you need to come in, put it together, that makes goal. So in the very beginning of the month, we're like, okay, we know what we need for new business. So we get all our plans, we're like, it's, it's this daily need and blah, 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 based on the old business that should come in. Well, about three weeks in, just things started falling through in old business, meaning people didn't re-sign. A trainer might leave, a, a client might move, and just over and over again, this happened. And so for me, this meant, uh, that's not gonna go well. My new business need is like going up and up and up, and, and closeout day is coming here, and that means some very real financial implications for my wife. Of course, now I'm going in my head like, Lord, you moved us to Dallas to what, to get me fired? And now I'm not, <sighs> what are we gonna do? And so what do I do? I go to Philippians 4. 
I read that, okay. Or I quote that, okay. But this time, I don't know if it was a mentor or how I came across this verse, um, but someone said, you know what, Matt? I think you need to spend some time in Psalm 50. It says this, Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. And that, that brought a different type of peace to me. Because, yes, don't fear. Why? Because God owns everything. And if he owns everything, he could make 10 times the new business need I have to have for goal come in. Amen, right? God, bring it in. We, we want the blessing. Hey, if he owns everything, he also has authority not to bring it in. And that will be okay too. And so, honestly, I, I don't know what happened that month. I don't remember. All I know is I'm standing here and it's fine. Right? Like, it's just the peace that God owns everything and he has everything. Now, we need to do everything we can. I'm not saying be lazy in your business, but just that peace that, yes, comes from a promise, but comes from having our minds think on what is true and noble. And you know what is crazy? Like three verses later, it said, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can have abundance and we can have want, and it doesn't matter. It's through Christ. So we have to believe that truth. It has to cement our minds, but we also have to act. That's principle two. Faith is proven in our obedience. How do we know Joseph believed God? Because he obeyed. Where would Joseph be? If um, he had considered these things, man, that's going to be tough. Pondered on it for a couple weeks and said, nah, I'm good. Mary was already pregnant. We just would, we wouldn't have known Joseph's name. And in fact, after this and after like Jesus is found in the temple, his parents, that's really the last time Joseph is mentioned. He just kind of fades away. It doesn't matter. He, he, he didn't do it for the glory. This is way before doing it for the gram. And if you're sitting next to a teenager, they should be cringing by right now. He didn't do it just to have clout. He did it because it was right. And because he obeyed, again, all those fears came through, but he got to enjoy obedience and a clear conscience. So what? Obey the command, not our fears. I think in this, there are two types of fear to obedience. Number one is the fear of discomfort. Sometimes obedience means it's not comfortable. It hurts, whether it's amount of time we serve, whether it's amount of um, funds and how generous we are with our time and our treasures, whether it's um, the words we say, that's it for me. People in the room might laugh because I. this is probably the most words I've spoken, at least in your presence, in a long time. Um, I have what's called a word quota of the day, and when I meet it, I stop. And I always jest because, you know, even a fool when he is quiet is considered wise. And I was like, it's because I don't want to be considered a fool. Um, but really, it's because I'm uncomfortable. I don't like being vulnerable. And I think, ha, for my fear of discomfort, how many times have I missed out on telling Lauren how amazing she is? How many times have I missed out on seeing a student who I have this hunch might be struggling and going, 
hey, I gotta tell you something. How many times have I been with a brother in this room and like, hey, I should really go deeper in this relationship, but the bears are cool. And just stop. That fear of discomfort, at least personally for me in words, stops me from obedience. But there's also fear of missing out. And missing out on what? Missing out on what our flesh loves. And for a moment, I just want to get really pointed and practical here. Our flesh loves the world. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then John tells us what the love of the world is. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so I think when we fear missing out, which causes us to not obey, it's fear of missing out on what we love. And that desire of the flesh, of the eyes, of the pride of life, I think we can break this down in all our culture right now, it's either sexuality, substances, or status. And our flesh wants those things. And it wants the perversion of those things. And so we don't want to miss out on, you can fill in the blank. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name it for you. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that. But I know this. There is no fear in doing the right thing in those things. For God's will is good. He is good. And any limitation he's put on sexuality, substances, or status, usually gained by power or wealth, any limitation, any parameters he has put on those things in his word is good and it's for our good. And I think the so what for us is to obey that. Because again, we should never fear doing what's right. But that leads me to point number three. What, oh actually, fear what you should, not what you shouldn't. So what shouldn't you fear? Losing anything for the sake of Christ. It's that simple. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Shouldn't fear any of that. Joseph knew that he would lose standing, but he's like, no. It doesn't matter. I love God, so therefore, I don't really have to fear that, even though they are real fears. So then what should we fear? A couple things. Bears, large snakes, anything that tastes like meat, <laughs> and regret. For me, this is a big one. I fear regret so much. I never want to regret doing the right thing. Because I know that feeling and it's awful. I came to Christ when I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at Kent State University in Ohio. And then my sophomore year, I transferred to a Christian college, Cedarville University. And um, my parents, who were not Christians, um, they had seen a drastic change in my life. 18-year-old Matt versus 19-year-old were two very different people. Um, they had come to my baptism, so they had the gospel shared there. They, they, they saw that, but they never heard the gospel from me. And so I would come home on college visit weekends when I could, and it's a two-and-a-half drive from Cedarville to Penfield, Ohio. Raise your hand if you've been there. Not even Lauren has. Cool. Um, so it's a very small town. Um, so 
it's about a two and a half hour drive, and um, I would drive there, and I'd say to myself, Matt, share the gospel with your parents this weekend. So I'd drive home. Friday, I'd see my buddy Jake. Saturday, I'd see my sister and her kids. Sunday, I'd go to church, again, not with my parents, but Sunday afternoon, I'd, you know, putz around and do whatever, and it came time to leave kind of after dinner because I needed a meal. Um, and in college, I don't know, parents still don't want you to drive in the dark. Well, you better get on the road. It's going to get dark soon. I'm like, oh, okay. But in my mind, I'm like, I haven't shared Jesus with you yet. And weekend after weekend, I would come home, and I wouldn't share Jesus with them. And my house was on Jones Road. It's a half mile from my house to the stop sign. And then from 301, uh, you take that south, go past Jackson Farm. I spent a lot of time there uh, doing work for him. And that whole time, I'm driving. Just like, you coward. You didn't do it. Time after time, I would do that. And what's usually playing through my head is a Rocky song, like, there's no, yeah, I won't sing. Um, but, like, you should have done it. Well, one day, I remember being upstairs. I remember this plain as day. I can picture the carpet. I can picture the posters that my sister had on her wall. And I'm up there in her room because she had moved out. And I'm like, I'm pacing. This is, this is before being told to leave again. I'm pacing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. I'm quoting this to myself. And then I hear, hey, Matt, you're going to take off. It's getting dark soon. I'm like, yeah, I'll be right down. I go downstairs, just about to open my mouth. Well, bud, we love you. Bye. I'm like, oh. I leave again. I get to that farm. I say, nope. <laughs> Pull the e-brake. Because I thought I could do that with no damage to my car. Um, and I turn around, I come home, and I say, Mom, and they're like, what are you doing here? I said, I can't go home again without telling you this. So I shared the gospel with them. How they've obviously seen a... Seeing a difference, this is why it's because Jesus is now in my life and Jesus can be in your life too if you believe on him for the forgiveness of your sin. You know, I shared the whole thing and they said, well, that's nice. It's okay, buddy. You better get home. Like, Good. Nothing really changed that day and the story goes on. If you want to know and have time, I'd love to share it with you. But at least that drive home, I didn't have regret. And that particular time of obedience gave me more gumption for the other times the Lord called on me to share the gospel with them. And it happened later on in some real ways. And so what? I would say this, fear the Lord, not your fears. From here, we're going to move on to communion, but to believers in the room, we know the God we serve. We know he is holy he is just, he is patient, and he may be patient with you for you to obey one of those things that we talked about for a long time, and the time, it's, it's just up and you know it. Obey the Lord, fear the Lord, not what you might be missing out on or not why something might be uncomfortable. To the non-Christians, I believe there are real fears you have about trusting Christ. Maybe you're here and you've not trusted Jesus yet, and you think, oh, for me to trust Jesus, I'll, I'll be embarrassed. I've been against him for so long. Like, I'll, I'm admitting I'm, I'm, I was wrong. I, what in my life is going to change? And I'll say, everything will change. Not change for the easier, but holy moly, change for the better. Because to fear the Lord is to know that the holy, just God 
will deal out his wrath on sin. He will deal out his wrath on your sin. But the good news is that Jesus on the cross took that sin in your place. And so fearing that God is saying, Jesus, I believe in you and I know that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again giving victory, Lord. I want that salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you are ready to make that decision today, as we go in communion and in a moment of silence, I would encourage you to, to pray and to think and to believe. And if you believe that for the first time today, take communion. Because communion is a declaration of our belief. It's a chance for us believers to weekly be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice. That he was on the cross for our sin. His body, that bread, was broken and his blood was spilt for the forgiveness of our sin. And we get a chance to partake of that, that village we practice, and open a communion. So if you are a Christian from any church, whatever, we are glad you're here. Please partake with us. You don't have to just be a member of village to do that. And if you are not a Christian, and you're not ready to make that step of faith, just don't take a cup, because to Partake is to proclaim that you believe. So this is what's gonna happen in just a moment. We'll have a moment of silence. Believers, do some business with the Lord. Ask him how you're doing. You probably know. And talk to God about the readiness of your heart to take communion and consider just how gracious he is. After a moment of silence, we will praise and worship together. And during that song, if you do not yet have a communion cup combo, they are at the pillars. Um, just follow the lights, and they're there. And uh, you can grab a cup, and then we will sing. I'll read some scripture, and we will partake together. Let's have a moment of silence.